Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 40 of UAB Green and Told, original air date Monday, March 1st, 2021. Through this podcast, we were able to share stories from members of the UAB community. I'm Greg Barry, a UAB alum and assistant director in the UAB Office of Alumni Affairs. You can listen to all of our episodes on Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. While there, I'd love for you to leave a written review so we can reach more alumni. Today's episode can be called From Broadway to Beans, Coffee Beans. You see, Jill Marler never dreamed of working in the coffee business, but Broadway, well, that was a different story. I didn't necessarily come from a strong enough, I think, background that could have launched me into that, but I did have that dream. And instead of riding her dream or even a subway to Broadway, she took a turn teaching. And as she'll share, her approach to preschoolers mimicked none other than Mr. Rogers. When I look back and I think about my classes, then I feel like my approaches were a lot related to what his approach was, was get on their level. But now Jill and her husband live in the world of coffee, opening a new store footsteps from campus before being challenged because of the global pandemic. Everything you kind of think you have, you know, set into place, it all falls apart. Mocha, mud, joe, brew, there are many different ways to say coffee. During her teens and 20s, Jill Marler didn't find herself grounded in the world of decaf or any of the hot stuff, really. She liked theater, but over the course of her UAB journey, she's become a Jill of all trades after realizing a career on stage was probably unlikely. I didn't have like a full grasp of really, you know, realistically what I wanted to do. I had dreams. I did want to go to Broadway, you know, like a lot of people do, but I, you know, I I didn't necessarily come from a strong enough, I think, background that could have launched me into that, but I did have that dream. And so I thought about musical theater. So my first year though, I did go, I did attend Birmingham Southern, but in that year, I kind of determined about halfway through, it just wasn't the right fit for me. So that's when I immediately knew, I mean, I just literally applied overnight to UAB, didn't even tell my parents, but I knew that's where I wanted to go. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do, but at that time, nursing was really, there was a need and it was really strong. So I was like, let me just try pre-nursing. So I slipped over there and did that for a year. And then in the midst of that, I I still was kind of searching, you know, what I want to do. Um, and then I think by my sophomore year, end of sophomore, I switched into early childhood education. So at that time, I didn't feel like I needed to spend my degree in creative arts, which is interesting. I think the mentality is a lot different now. You know, people are like that you can find careers and focus in on creative arts. But at the time, I was like, well, I need to find something that's employable, you know, but still kind of feeds what I want to do. So mm-hmm. it's been a weird journey. You mentioned that Birmingham Southern wasn't the right fit. Mm-hmm. Why was UAB the right fit? Because I wanted to be in an environment that was more academic focused, which is odd to say when I talk about where I came from in my high school, but I just kind of wanted to go to college and I wanted to be around a lot of different people. And I was very attracted to the urban environment of UAB. That. When I moved into that dorm, which at the time was called South Hall, which is now RAST, I, 
I just loved it. I loved the buzz of the city and being in that dorm and getting to know people from all over the world, you know, because UAB had always been a place where um, you just found students who had come from different backgrounds. So I just felt like I could just go to school and, and, and be in that, that feel, and I loved it. In the 50 years that UAB has been around, it's changed dramatically. What was it like when you were going through school in the early to mid 90s? Well, I had left a very traditional campus like Birmingham Southern. Most of my friends I'd grown up with were, you know, at Auburn and Alabama, very traditional schools and doing, you know, Greek system and all that. And, and so, but for me at the time to be at UAB, it, what, it didn't have that traditional sense, but I was, I liked that about it there. Like I said, it was, you know, you had just the limited, you had your buildings on campus for your different, you know, schools and you had, we had uh, South Hall at the time and we had Campbell Hall. There was those two dorms. And I just remember just getting to know just different people from all kind of walks of life at the time in all areas. And and I survived the blizzard of 93 in that dorm and we kept power the whole time. So it was like a small environment in a way, but in a bigger environment too. Um, but I know now just because of like at our coffee shop that we have, we have three baristas currently at UAB and you know, they're experiencing a whole different campus from when I was there. But, but I kind of love the fact that I was kind of there when maybe, maybe UAB wasn't as cool to my friends at the time, but like now it's like super, super cool, you know, <laughs> if that makes sense. It does. It does. And, and what has changed over that time since you graduated that kind of made UAB cool? You know, it was very, it's always been very hyper-focused with the medical uh, and research you know, industry. And that's wonderful. That's really what, you know, set it apart early on. And it's still just top notch. But I think they decided to, to really focus more on this, the undergraduate community and the students and the community around it, so that they were kind of balancing that better. And so that I think students that go to UAB don't, they, they know that that's as strong as that medical side or that research side. And they feel just as valued and important. And, you know, the green spaces that have been developed, the rec centers, all of that, you know, speaks to those students that, you know, they're investing in them. And so, but, um, but that's just part of the growth. You know, I know at the time when I was there, UAB was planning and projecting to be what they are today. You know, we were just all, you know, kind of a part of that, just kind of when it was moving into it. You mentioned the university's growth. Let's make that a little bit more personal. How did you grow during your time at UAB? Because you went from arts to education. So there was a major shift in even that. So I remember just when I was switched into education, um, I remember just the faculty there and just some specific professors who I just still remember this day, like Jerry Aldridge. Um, and I felt that such a fostering sense that in that education department back then, I don't know how big it is now compared to what it was, but it was such a, a nice community, very supportive. And I learned, you know, learned what I felt when I went into teaching a lot, you know, 
that I applied and I still apply to this day. And so when I got into the teaching field, I decided to kind of go into, I wanted to stick with preschool and I wanted to stick with the younger ages and not necessarily go into public school. So I was able to really use a lot of that. So I just feel like they've really been a part of making me better in the career choices. And I've been able to do a lot of different things. You know, I've been a teacher um, and even that pre-nursing, like I feel like when my kid gets sick or my husband gets sick, like, and, you know, I have a little better sense of diagnosing them. And then now, you know, the, the art studio classes just shaped me as an artist. And I was able to, to be an artist in the community for many years selling my work. So, you know, UAB helped form that. You mentioned the pre-K kid. What drew you to doing the the preschool kids and teaching them as opposed to the elementary school age kids? I think I've been reminded probably recently why. And when I was growing up, you know, with television, it, it was, you know, APT and PBS and all that. And Mr. Rogers was... You know, it just, we had four channels like everybody else back then. There wasn't cable. And so he was, I think we, my generation, my particular age group too, we were at a time where we were just really connecting with Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street. So I always felt when I look back and I think about my classes, because I taught preschool for, oh, almost 25 years, that I feel like my approaches were a lot related to what his approach was, was get on their level. You know, you're not talking down to the child, you know, and it, and the, and it keeps you childlike in a way too. That was a strong, strong influence. You're able to teach the pre-K kids for more than two decades and that's just an outstanding career. But all along, you didn't lose sight of the arts either because on the side, mm-hmm. you were doing art, music and some other things. Why was it important to continue to be in that world as a teacher? That's probably why I didn't choose to go into the public setting because I knew that that would take up a majority of my day, you know, having a job in the system. So I wanted to teach preschool because preschool would be more of a half day situation in most preschool programs. And then I could develop this business to where I could teach enrichment classes in the after school setting, whether it was an after preschool class, or I could then pick up classes at three o'clock for, you know, if I went into an elementary school. So that was the way to kind of feed, you know, creatively the art, the music, the drama, still be a teacher traditionally in the mornings with preschool. So I just used the toolbox that UAB had given me to say, all right, how do I kind of shape what I want to do? I don't necessarily want to just go do this. So I just want to make my own career. And, and that's just what happened. I worked for um, a independent Presbyterian that worked for their preschool for 20 years where, so that those were my mornings. And then I would teach after school classes there. And then I would sometimes do workshops around town. And and then I would also teach three o'clock classes at Highlands. And then that also allowed me to have time when I began doing art on the side. So then it just, you know, I was busy. It was a lot, it was a lot of hats. 
would you kind of consider yourself a Jill of all trades? <laughs> That's funny. At times, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. It's it's good that my parents just raised me to be like, whatever you want to do, just go do it. You know, don't tell yourself no, and you can do whatever you want to do. And I, and that's good, but sometimes, you know, sometimes it keeps you from really uh, being an expert at one thing. You know, sometimes I look at people and I say, wow, it must be amazing just to have one thing you're super, super knowledgeable on and good at. But then in the same way, I think I like just flipping things around and doing different things and my days are different. So that's just, that's just what I need, you know, but. <laughs> with the career that you spent with the kids in pre-K, how have you seen that age change? You definitely have seen the last five to 10 years, a shift in um, the energy of preschoolers. And, and I think a lot of it does have a, to do with maybe a bit overscheduled and technology that's all fed into kind of their, their being. So when I first started those first zero to 10 years teaching classes, if I had 10 children, you know, I'd kind of, they all tend to kind of have the same energy level. We could get things accomplished. There wasn't you know, we all were usually on the same page a little better, but I did, I've noticed a shift in the last 10 to 20 years that it became a, a bit harder to manage at times, um, doing the same types of activities. You, you just have different influences on kids these days. And so you see it in your class. Um, so that can be challenging of, of how you keep them engaged Whereas it was kind of different, you know, looking back before all of these influences. So, <laughs> and as you're aging as well, and your energy is lessening, you know, it, it presents a challenge. But I know that probably UAB's Department of Education, you know, now they're instilling different different things and resources and tools into their teachers who are leaving their programs because they're dealing with those things now that weren't there when I was going through that department. You know, it's just different. Mm -hmm. What's it like when you see one of your former students come up to you in a mall on the street, Miss Jill, Miss Jill, hey, do you remember me all of these years later? That's got to be satisfying to see them grow. It is. You know, I mean, I think back and there's always specific students you really think about who at the time maybe were struggling or kind of maybe had been labeled hyper or, you know, they were more of a challenge. Or then you see that child that you remember who was an incredible artist at the time, even if they were four, but you saw it. And then now you see them as a 20 eight-year-old and they are producing art they had you know got an art degree when you see those things it's like you feel lucky that you've been uh, a part of that journey you know you're just like one little piece in it but you're seeing it and you're seeing it where it was beginning and then you're seeing it well you know my kids now that I started with are 30 early 30s some of them now you know they're into their lives and it's just a privilege. I mean, I think that's that's why teachers do what they do 
for, you know, little pay comparison, right? Or the long hours, because that I mean, that's just a special place that you have in, in, in other people's lives. And it's, you, it's irreplaceable. When you were cramming for tests while you were at UAB, did you go to that certain spot and have a cup of coffee and really enjoy the entire experience? There was at Starbucks when I was in college, because I'm thinking that, because James and I have talked about this as my husband, but well, Starbucks came to Five Point South in 1997. Okay. So I was already graduated. So there wasn't those social spaces that it was the library, you know, I mean, I remember going to Stern and a lot or studying at the dorm or, you know, you'd go over to a friend's apartment who's in education and you'd study with them. Um, but that wasn't there then, you know, that what everybody does now. <laughs> and the stereotypical college student drinks coffee, you know, you, yes. you hear that all the time. So when did you kind of get into the coffee world and start enjoying a cup here and there? Well, I mean, I, hmm. Okay. I think I remember drinking like really bad Folgers back then, you know, um, <laughs> you know, because it's just, I don't, right. No one in Birmingham was into that back then. So, um, okay. So it's just drinking cheap coffee and, I really didn't get into coffee until I met James because that's his thing. So coffee is not my love and passion. That's definitely James's love and passion, but it's been like, it's been fun to learn about it because, um, you know, there's a lot to coffee just like there is to wine or anything other than that too. But so to be honest, it's, you know, <laughs> it wasn't that big a deal, which is kind of funny. As somebody that had aspirations to be on Broadway, ended up teaching pre-K students, did you ever think you'd be in the coffee business? No, but isn't that what's, that's great, isn't it? That's what's great about life. And it's a reminder. And I mean, I still struggle with it where you, you put yourself in a box and you tell yourself, well, that's just not me. I, you know, I'm not going to learn about that. Um but so that's the lesson is you got to keep your eyes open and let life lead you in a, you know, where, where it wants to go. You can't wait on it per se, but being a listener to others around you, letting others help you, um, you know, just look like with your podcast. I mean, you're connecting people, you are listening to people and then people are listening to your podcast and they're saying, oh, well, I might want to do something like that. Or maybe I'd like to meet that person. You know, it's, that's, that's that community of con connections. That's so important. So what went into starting Filter Coffee, which is in the heart of Five Points, right in that old Starbucks location that a lot of students yep. went to from right. late 90s until not too long ago. How did you get into it? And how did you start the business with your husband? That would be where we look at, you know, James's background. So when he was in high school, he, um, I think his first job was Barney's at Century Plaza. He moved into O'Henry's where he was a roaster for many years um, early on. He he also became a barista, I think, at um, O'Henry's. He then eventually moved into management at Starbucks, and he opened the one in Vestavia years ago. 
Um, he fixed stores down in Opelika for Starbucks. And then he eventually, his last um, job with Starbucks was managing the one in Five Points South. So his coffee journey started when he was a teenager. Um, even though he was eventually in his 30s, went to go work with Rev Birmingham and worked in economic development. His passion and his love was always like, one day I'd love to open a coffee shop. So, you know, fast forward to 2007 and we get married. He's managing that Starbucks. Then he goes and starts working for Rev. You know, we start a family. We, you know, have Ruby. And so around 2017, it was October. It was right when the Starbucks closed. He said, I want to open a coffee shop and I want to call it Filter and I want to do it in Five Points South. And so I'm like, okay. And he, but he had started the process of, you know, he started with the name and he started with the vision and he went and talked to someone and he just started putting one foot in front of the next. And we started writing a business plan, <laughs> you know, and, but it took, two years from that pretty much to open the door. So it takes two years to open the door. You're open for about a year and then wham, COVID. Yeah. How did the model change once COVID hit last March? Here's the wild thing about COVID. So COVID transformed us personally and as a business in, in a positive way. And I know that's, you know, it's it's kind of funny to say that in a way because I know it's it's been also equally devastating and, you know, it's particularly just, you know, what it's done. But for us, it was an opportunity to really go back to where we started in 2017 when we started writing the plan to look at that first year open in 2019, the struggles the problems, the mistakes, the small triumphs that were being overshadowed by a lot of mistakes. So then when we start 2020, January and February are looking great. I mean, we are stronger, we are smaller, we are mighty. We're partnering a lot with UAB and doing catering and growing, 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 and then COVID. And then everything you kind of think you have you know, set into place, it all falls apart. And then you're personally falling apart. You know, you're struggling in all your areas. We decided we're not going to fail. We're not going to fail personally. We're not going to fail our relationship. We're not going to fail this business. We're not going to fail as parents. And we reached out and we got help and we sought out as much support as we could, whether it was people helping us, you know, determine what we needed to do. And we dug in personally and, and worked that business. And in it to look back, you know, almost a year later, um, we see that it, it was the, it was transformative for us. And it put us back to where now when we read our business plan, we're actually doing what we, said we would be doing because sometimes in that first year of a business you lose sight of what you set out to do so 2019 
looks very different to what, you know, 2020 was, but then 2021, you know, we feel, we feel like we've got our wings. It's, um, it's pretty remarkable for us. We're grateful. Even though your degree was in education and you have a big background in the arts, how did the basic core at UAB help you? I think it, you know, anytime you're in a university setting, particularly like UAB, um, I think that they're, they're shaping you to think independently, to think outside the box, to think about uh, things beyond yourself. I will say too, I mean, I think an education degree, and I think, uh, I think teaching in itself allows you to um, take those, that knowledge and apply it into different areas. And I say that when I think about, cause um, I was the, I was the writer of the business plan, you know, putting it together structurally with the verbiage, but, you know, James and I were talking it out, but I remember, you know, writing that, I don't know, it was probably a 40 page plan, but a lot of those skills, I remember learning at UAB, whether it was writing my lesson plans and, you know, over year after year, over, over and over, you know, being taught the proper way to write those lesson plans from my instructors. I mean, that's basically what I was applying into that plan of how to do that. And I think anytime, I'm sure at UAB in the different areas of studies, when they're teaching you how to write those thoughts out in a structured way and communicate, you know, you can apply that to different things. Yes, I'm a teacher. Yes, I'm in the creative arts. But did we write a coffee shop business plan? Yes, we did, you know. So that's what I feel like the gift was that UAB gave me in that area. Do you think the 18, 19 year old Jill who entered UAB in the early 90s ever saw herself becoming a barista and, and owning filter coffee, a coffee business? I, I definitely, I know she would be like, that's crazy. I don't even drink coffee that much, you know, but, and but I still feel that same sense right now at age, I just turned 49. And I feel the same sense that I did when I was, like, I was 18 right now. Um, because I feel like I'm launching into just another chapter. And, and that's an exciting place to be. And, you know, that's a reminder too, that we all can we don't always have to say, well, those are the years when you're 18, 19, and 20, when you have that feeling. You can find that feeling at any part of your life, you know, when you're stepping off to say, I think I'm ready for a new journey, or I'm, you know, I want to go down this path. And that's kind of where I am again. So it's, it's a good feeling. You always had that dream to be on Broadway. You didn't let that itch kind of get away, though, because you did a lot of local productions or you did some here and there. Right. Why was it important to continue to do that? And how fun was that to be on a local stage? That's where really what makes life sweet is that you can you can do your job and do your career, but then you can find your other communities that you want to get involved in. And that's a particular community, you know, especially here in Birmingham, that's very strong, tight knit and I'm telling you, you can see some great shows in Birmingham with theater. When, you know, I can find ways to do plays every now and then. It connected me in with doing some short films for the Sidewalk Film Fest and, and meeting other, you know, filmmakers or film actors. 
So that's really what I, like if I could say that's the thing that feeds me the most, it is. It's not the thing that I spend most of my time on. However, that's where I'm moving into. Even at the age I am, you know, there's there's always work. So, but that is what makes me the happiest, I would say, or most fulfilled, I guess is a better word. Um, so that's, this is my 18, 19 year old, you know, self right now with it, but it feels right and it feels good, so. That's Jill Marler, co-owner of Filter Coffee in Birmingham. A 1995 alum, she graduated with a bachelor's degree from the UAB School of Education. As an alum, she now finds herself serving coffee to current students. To this day, her passion for UAB continues to brew, and she has her own idea of what it means to be a blazer. I feel that to be a blazer is to be about my community and what I can give back to my community and to not limit myself in what I think I can do, but to, to look beyond myself and to find ways that I can influence and I can um, help others and I can seek out the goals that I have for myself. I feel that it's kind of an all-encompassing um, feeling when I think about, you know, what does it mean to be a blazer? And in a lot of ways, when you get the sense of the blazer and fire, and you know, it is that sense of how can you ignite yourself? How can you ignite your community? You know, how do you, how do you bring that to life? Um, so that's how I feel about it. And now, you know, now that I think back and things are settling out as a business and we're just kind of in a little bit better place and we're becoming so much more connected with the UAB community through the coffee shop, it is a reminder, okay, how now can I give back to my university, you know, and how can I support them? Um, what, what are the things that I can do? How can I tap in? Can I, you know, I've connected a bit with, um, some faculty back at the UAB Department of Education, the Education Department. You know, so now it's, I'm at a place in my life of how do you give to where you've come from and those that gave to you. Be sure to listen in to previous episodes of UAB Green and Told. You can find all of them at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share? Email me at greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for at UAB Alumni. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go Blazers!